ingem venimiter in terram et quid volo nisi ut accendatum. I am come to cast fire upon the earth, and what will I but that it be kindled? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's feast of the most sacred heart of Jesus is, it must be said again and again, the feast of fire. The feast of a great conflagration of love ignited in this dark and cold world of ours by the most sacred heart of Jesus. Today's feast is the culmination of that immense, mighty wave that first appeared on the first Sunday of Advent. And so we made our way through Advent and through Christmas tide and through Epiphany tide and through Septuagesima tide and through Lent and through Paschal tide into the Senegal to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and then for eight days we lingered in the presence of the Most Holy Sacrament. And all of this, this great sweep of the liturgical year, has brought us to this day, the Feast of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. All of the saints were men and women set ablaze by that fire of which our Lord speaks in St. Luke's Gospel. I'm always fascinated by the choice of the Magnificat Antiphon at first Vespers of the Most Sacred Heart. Any other number of texts could have been chosen. But no, the Holy Ghost guided the Church to give us this word, I am come to cast fire upon earth, and what will I but that it be kindled who are the saints except those who responded to this word of Jesus saying, Lord, cast thy fire into my heart, set me ablaze. And it is this chorus of the incandescent saints that sings today's introit. You know how Often I invite you to ask the question about Mass. Who is speaking in this part of Mass and to whom? And I asked myself that question about today's intro. And it seemed to me that I was hearing in the intro to today's Mass the voices of the apostles, of the evangelists, of the all-pure Mother of God of the martyrs, the confessors, the monks, the virgins, all of the doctors of the church, and all her mystics. I heard this mighty chorus 
And what were they singing? The thoughts of his heart are to all generations to deliver their souls from death and feed them in famine. The introit has about it this Eucharistic note, et alaf eos in fam. No one knows the hunger of the human heart as our Lord Jesus Christ knows it. And no one can fill that hunger of the human heart save our Lord Jesus Christ. And this he did in the stupendous invention of his love, the sacrament his adorable body and precious blood. And the saints, addressing us, saying, not only the thoughts of his heart are to all generations, to your generation, and not only to entire generations, but to this particular soul, as I said this morning in chapter. Our Lord does not give his heart to mankind in a kind of general way. Our Lord gives his heart to this man with his particular history, with his own story of brokenness and wounds and sins <laughs> and special needs and secrets. Today, dear brother Lucas, Maria, I think you are aware of this love of the Sacred Heart of Jesus for you in a very special way. And what is our response to this love? The saints tell us in the intro, rejoice in the Lord ye just, praise becometh the upright. Now this, this word upright is very interesting. We sometimes get this bit all wrong. The psalm says, rectos decet collagatio. The upright. We think of people who are kind of secure, sure of themselves. This is not it at all. The upright are those who once stooped to the ground by sin, bent over under the weight of burdens too heavy to bear, were lifted up until, by the grace of Jesus Christ, they were rendered capable of standing up straight and intoning a royal and priestly hymn of praise to God. Now, the Apostle speaks to us in the Epistle, and he speaks of his own vocation. To me, he says, the least of all the saints is given this grace to preach among the Gentiles, all peoples, 
the unsearchable riches, he says of Christ. The church here would have us understand today the unsearchable riches of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And then the Apostle makes a prayer. It's a priestly prayer, really. And what does he say? I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all paternity in heaven and earth is named. I think St. Paul is thinking here of his own paternity, because Paul counts himself among the fathers of the church, not in the way we usually understand that expression, but in reference to the apostles. And Paul says that his fatherhood comes from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he, a father praying for his sons, addresses the Father, asking that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, this is something inexhaustible, immeasurable, the riches of his glory, to be strengthened by his Spirit with might, that means with divine power. This is the might of the virtus of divine grace unto the inward man, that Christ may dwell by faith in your hearts. This is the same Paul who says in another place, I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. That being rooted and founded in charity, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, already Paul is speaking of all the saints, I think he is speaking here not only of the members of the church at Ephesus, the church to which he was writing this epistle, but I think that St. Paul here was speaking out of a prophetic grace. I think he was looking into the ages to come and seeing all the saints who down through the ages until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory are rooted and founded in charity and able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. You know there's a wonderful medieval illumination. The monks of old were very fond of making pictures in the margins of their liturgical books. And one of my favorite illuminations depicts the heart of Jesus. It's, it's, it's a heart with an opening at the top of the heart. And there is a little monk leaning over that opening in the heart of Jesus. And what is he doing? He's dropping into it a plumb line. He's trying to measure the depth of the heart of Jesus. And in this little medieval drawing, one sees that the monk's plumb line falls pathetically short. 
The heart of Jesus cannot be probed. This is what the Apostle is saying. That the heart of Jesus, the breadth and length and height and depth thereof, defy all human calculation. The saints are those who know the charity of Christ which surpasseth all knowledge. And in knowing the charity of Christ, another way of saying, in knowing the sacred heart of Jesus, the saints are filled unto all the fullness of God. In the Alleluia verse, it is our Lord Jesus himself who speaks. And what does he say? Take my yoke upon you. Now a yoke is that by which two cattle are joined together in order to walk together and to plough the same furrow. Our Lord wants us to be yoked to him. Our word conjugal comes from this word. Our Lord wants us to be yoked to him. Take my yoke upon you. That means walk in step with me. It means never leave my side. One might translate this, never leave my side. That's the meaning of take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart. Only this would our Lord have us learn from him, weakness and humility of heart. I think of this every morning as I give my commentary on chapter 7 of the Holy Rule. All of chapter 7 is in some way a deepening of this word of our Lord. Learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart. And then he makes a promise. A promise and you shall find rest to your souls the offertory antiphon also is placed in the mouth of Jesus and this in the most poignant way it's no secret I think to you dear sons that this particular offertory antiphon played a particular role in the establishment of our monastery. It holds for us a very special resonance. In a few moments, we shall sing this antiphon, but through our mouths, Jesus will be singing it. Singing it to whom? Singing it to all of us. And what will he say? This is the crucified Jesus speaking, the Christus Passus. This is the host of all our tabernacles speaking. And what does he say? My heart, my heart, my sacred heart hath expected reproach and misery. And I looked for one that would grieve together with me, says this translation. I looked for one 
that would share my sorrow. Saints and mystics through the ages have heard this word and understood by it that Jesus in every age is calling souls to Gethsemane. What did he say there in the Garden of Olives? Could you not watch one hour with me? To what did he invite the apostles? Watch and pray. And from all the tabernacles of the world, as from Gethsemane, Jesus continues to say, And I looked for one to share my sorrow. In some way, this is the vocation of this monastery and of each one to share the sorrow of the hidden Jesus, to share the sorrow of the forsaken Jesus, to share the sorrow of Jesus who waits and waits in so many tabernacles only to be forgotten, disregarded, and left alone. This speaks to the heart of our vocation to reparation. <coughs> I looked for one that would grieve together with me, but there was none. And then, with great poignancy, and for one that would comfort me, consolante me quesivi. Dear brother Lucas, Maria, receive this word at the beginning of your monastic journey. Our Lord who brought you here wants you to be among those souls who will console him in his solitude. Console him not by saying anything, what can one say when faced with the solitude of a God? Not by doing anything. What can one do when contemplating the broken heart of a God? One can only be there with him. And this is what he asks of you. This is what he asks of each of us. And for one that would console me. And the antiphon ends on this sorrowful note, a tragic note. And I found none. You will even hear it in the melody. That last lingering cadence and I found none. It makes us want to say, but Lord, here am I, to console thee, to abide close to thy open heart. The communion antiphon 
comes from the fourth gospel and it is John's eyewitness of what happened at Calvary. One of the soldiers with a spear opened his side and immediately there came out blood and water. There came out and there come out still blood and water from the open side of Jesus. A torrent of life, yes, and in some way a river of fire. He came and he comes even today to cast fire upon the earth. And what does he will but that it be kindled? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.